Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Dr. Ketumetse Tumi Mosheko, who is a clinical and sports psychologist in private practice. Some of her special interests include performance and mental health of competitive athletes, wellness and mental health interventions, overcoming abuse and GBV, as well as burnout. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mosheko. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Thank you for having me. Dr. Mosheko, we're one month into the new year. Some people may be on track with their annual plans. Others may feel somewhat derailed. In today's conversation, we're going to talk about helping people fulfill their goals, manage responsibilities without burnout, addressing change, and how to confront negative interactions. So starting off, for some people, the beginning of the year is often a period of reflection where they set intentions, whether that's about getting fitter, eating more healthier, leaving toxic relationships, changing careers, learning new skills, etc. What are some of the reasons that people are unable to achieve their resolutions? You know, there, there's a number of things that uh, influence that. Uh, but uh, the one we see often is that people uh, almost set themselves up for failure because they want to do too much too quickly, right? So someone, for example, who has a goal to go to gym, now they want to gym like for 10 hours <laughs> every day. And I mean, that is literally <laughs> going to uh, not work, especially if, you know, that's not what you do for a living. But even with people who are athletes, you know, competitive athletes, they also need to motivate themselves sometimes to actually, you know, go to the gym and do what it is they know they should do. So I think uh, sometimes it's that uh, people put themselves up for things that are impossible to achieve because, I mean, life happens. Um, so we need, to, when you have these goals or when you set these goals, to understand that there has to be room for, you know, the things that can happen that, you know, your plans don't go accordingly. So, for example, instead of wanting to exercise seven times a week, rather choose to say minimum three times, 15 minutes or 20 minutes uh, in those sessions. Uh, that's like, you know, what I aim for. Anything extra is fantastic. So I think it's almost like being realistic about your schedule, your life, but also, you know, uh, understanding that, when you started on this journey that you need to show yourself grace, starting a new habit or starting, you know, aiming to achieve a goal is not easy. It requires effort. So I think also showing ourselves grace to say, you know, um, I'm a human being. Some days I might not be able to deliver on this. Uh, let me have a contingency plan for that. And perhaps it's about thinking about things in more of a, a long-term view as opposed to instant gratification, which I think is is kind of what we're used to. Definitely, definitely. In the era we're living in, especially with social media and, uh, you know, there's so much pressure on self, <laughs> pressure from society, you know, pressure we inflict on ourselves. So I think we need to really manage that so that we're not stuck in this rat race 
you know, and social media is also not a real place. So when people are saying that they've got these goals, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and they are, you know, for, for some I've seen where people say after giving birth, for example, they're putting up pictures of how they lost weight immediately, <laughs> how the weight fell off, a quote, as they would say. So I think it's very important that we understand that um, people, whatever people post out there is not necessarily the truth. But if you internalize that, um, at the reality that, you know, and you feel like you are functioning at a place of lack, it can lead to a lot of disappointment and it will be very difficult for you to attempt to lose the weight if you're constantly seeing pictures of people and believing that they lost the weight within a week. Yes, yes. So reality check, not yes. being overly ambitious and overstating goals, breaking yes. things down into bite sizes. And what would you say... Are some of the psychological techniques that can help people stay motivated and committed to their goals? You know, with anything, uh, when it comes to wanting to change something or to work on something, one has to see uh, see the bigger picture and be intentional about it. So oftentimes life gets us into autopilot mode where we almost function like soldiers that, you know, we're always constantly chasing and uh, waiting for the worst case scenario to happen. But when you are being uh, sort of working on a specific goal, we need to be mindful and be present in the moment so that uh, we can actually uh, see the situation for what it is, but also learn the skill to uh, deal with the difficult emotions. The reason why we go into autopilot sometimes is because we don't want to, uh, as human beings, sit with the difficult emotions, whatever those are. So we feel anxious. We want to quickly, you know, do something quickly to get out of that anxiety state or run away from it, repress it, avoid it. So it's very important that we also need to sit with the tough emotions, whatever those emotions are, sit in the discomfort so that we can, you know, be able to go through it instead of trying to avoid it. So the important one is just being present, being mindful, and that requires a lot of breath work. Sometimes, you know, we, we often say to people, breathe, but people actually don't understand why we say to them, breathe, but it's actually to bring you back to the moment. Because when we're worrying, it means you are living in the future. And if you're feeling depressed, it usually means you're living in the past. So the breathing brings you back to the now, to that moment, to sit with that, uh, so that you're able to not think from a place where of, of uh, a clouded uh, perspective. When you say breathing, is there a particular technique? Is it inhale, exhale, what count to 10, hold your yeah. breath? What, yeah. what is it? <laughs> For me, I always, uh, uh, when I do breath work with my uh, clients, I always say to them, take in a deep breath, and I'm not the queen of England. So when you take in that breath, <laughs> you must make sure you go deep <laughs> and, you know, uh, do it so that you feel like you are, a quote, suffocating because you are, you know, uh, unable to get in oxygen. So you must really take in a really deep breath and hold it. So it's almost like um, what, 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 when we do that is to get you to a state where you feel like you are, um, you know, at the highest height of that autopilot mode. Because when we're in autopilot mode, we hold our breath. We're not breathing. Right. So we almost uh, uh, simulating that sort of scenario. And then when you let go, uh, I then count from five slowly. And I always say to them, if you feel like I'm counting too slow, 
it means you are holding your breath correctly. <laughs> it means you are really doing what it is I'm asking you to do. And then when once you get to, when you let go, you open your mouth and you let go. And, and you will feel the rush of oxygen. And is it a once-off? Is it a, a one-minute cycle? How how frequently do you need? Do you recommend doing it? So, because of life stresses, we have learned how to be on autopilot, meaning we're constantly going through life holding our breath, right? Because we're waiting for a bomb to fall at any time. So then, unlearning this requires one to do it often to remind the body of you know how it feels like to be in a relaxed state and i think when you we're starting a new habit it means you really must practice it daily so i always recommend that when you wake up do it during the day do it twice a day uh you know uh, and it, before you sleep as well because when people struggle to shut down or to sleep or to switch off it means also they're still they're holding their breath so we need to then uh, i ask them to do it four times a day and also when needed so it's, it's, it's almost like medication, take it four times a day until the habit becomes a part of you. When you become aware, when you hold your breath, but also become aware when you are in a relaxed state and you have clarity of thought and your, your body almost feels a little bit heavy because you are in a relaxed state. And I believe that when you are in that state, you are able to make decisions, uh, you know, in a calm manner, you know, because you've got clarity of thought. It sounds like a great way of being able to reset and uh, very affordable too. Yes, very much. I always say to people, oxygen is free and it's nice. <laughs> and some people think it's my voice when I'm counting from five. I'm like, uh-uh. It's actually the fact that you are sitting in the moment and being present and you feel the effects almost immediately. Uh, and also you feel the oxygen rush Initially, it might feel a little bit dizzy, but with time, then you feel like, oh, okay, this is a nice place to be. But it doesn't change, it doesn't take away your stresses, but at least it gives you that foundation to be able to uh, deal with them, you know, you know, in a manner in which that benefits you. Thanks for sharing that tip. Being able to have a healthy balance between home life and career development has been a common theme that women grapple with. And we've received mixed views on this topic. Some of our guests have said, we can have it all, but just not at the same time. Others have said, we can have it all and at the same time. As a successful woman who's worked hard to build her career, what's your perspective of this? I'm of you that there's always a bigger purpose in life, right? That we, we're not just here to, you know, work, make a living and then pass on or have children and then pass on. I believe there's a bigger purpose. So for me, you need to have uh, a balanced approach to life and actually, you know, um, enjoy things outside of, you know, uh, uh, being a parent, for example, outside of just work. So even within those spheres, uh, you are still an individual. So you need to make sure that you as an individual fulfill your purpose. So for me, everything should be purpose-driven. So whatever it is that you're doing, uh, at the end of the day, it should be actually fulfilling your purpose because you don't also want to make a lot of money, for example, or have family, and then you feel so unfulfilled because you didn't live out your purpose. So for me, the bigger picture is always, what is your purpose? Are you living your purpose? Are you working towards it? Are you stepping towards it in some way? And I think for me, that that's the approach I like to uh, people to take so that you can feel fulfilled. 
So valuable. And I wish that some of these tools were taught at school level because we see this coming through. I do a lot of work within the marketing space and we'll have brand developments and we will have Simon Sinek's Golden Circle and finding the why of the business. But the why of the self is so much more important. It is very, and you know, you're stuck with yourself until your demise. You're stuck with yourself until you leave this earth. So you might as well, you know, be comfortable in your skin, you know, fulfill your purpose uh, because you, you, everywhere you go, there you will be. So it's important that, you know, you are carrying someone functional, someone fulfilled, someone actually at peace and content with themselves. Given your experience, can you please give us uh, your top three mental health tips for women to perhaps cope more effectively and succeed in achieving their purpose and being able to maintain a a decent work-home balance. Women often struggle with, you know, uh, just coming from a place of lack or being uh, you know, the the, the people uh, dealing with the patriarchal society. So I think it's very important that uh, we need to understand uh, the power of our femininity. And it's not that we need to uh, be a walkover or be a pushover, but to understand that what you're bringing on the table, yes, the system might not be open to it, but it doesn't make it less valuable. So you need to value yourself and what you bring on the table. Um, the challenge, though, is that women, when the system is difficult or when the patriarchal society makes it challenging, we tend to target our own. So that's when we have things like puller down syndrome, you know, where women, this infighting amongst women. So it's easier for me to target another woman if things are not going well in the system than to actually target the system or the people who are put in high positions. So that infighting amongst the disenfranchised uh, a group such as women uh, then becomes the, my go-to place. So I think we also need to be aware that uh, we need to take charge of whatever's going on in our subconscious. So if that system is triggering a sense of inferiority or whatever it is is triggering in you, uh, please do not take it out on your fellow. So be sure to be self-aware of your own things that you carry because everything that we carry, the, the challenges, the traumas, you know, even our childhood experiences, relationship experiences, they're always in our subconscious and they will be triggered in a place like, for example, a patriarchal work environment. So please be aware of self. So that self-awareness journey is very important. You know, everything comes down to self. We need to be aware of what's going on within me and what I project onto other people uh, consciously or subconsciously and do the work within so that I become, you know, a better version of myself. So for me, it's just understanding the power of femininity, but also understanding the importance of doing the work within that introspection, reflection, and ensuring that uh, I become, I thrive uh, as the best version of myself continually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think another thing is just to be aware that we are continually a work in progress and uh, perfection is an illusion. Uh, I think sometimes we want to be, you know, as we're stepping into certain areas or certain rooms, we want to come across as, you know, a quote, perfect, but perfection is an illusion. It doesn't exist. So we need to show ourselves grace and know that if we're chosen to be in that room, you belong in that room. And whatever it is that you put on the table, yes, the system might not be open to it, but it doesn't make it less valuable. So I think understanding our worth, but also understanding the things that are going on within us uh, so that we're not projecting them onto innocent 
<laughs> bystanders uh, and also ensuring that we do the work within to, you know, to, to thrive. Such valid points, uh, especially the self-awareness component and not projecting our inferiority complexes onto others uh, and addressing the system itself and that environment as opposed to victims of the system. Definitely, definitely. Wow. Mental health has really been a, a topical point and you know ever since covid and i'm i'm kind of glad in a way that covid has been able to destigmatize mental health because the reality is according to some world health organization statistics that one in every eight people around the world were living with mental disorder in in 2019 where anxiety and depressive disorders are the most common a lot of women I know, seem to have this endless capacity of saying yes and and taking on more and trying to cope by themselves when maybe maybe those boundaries have been stretched a little too thin. At what point should people be seeking out professional help to psychologists uh, such as yourself? I'm of view that, uh, you know, as a society, we need to really, um, you know, show that mental health uh, is important just the same way we take care of our physical being or our appearances and uh, we should have check-ins with you know mental health professionals even when we do not we're not in crises so I think we we, we need to really be aware that um, mental health is quite important because the mind determines our reality right the mind is what will carry us when you know Everything is hard, even when the body doesn't want to function. So I think the power of the mind, we talk about it, but we really need to ensure that people actually see why it's it's powerful, the mind. Uh, because the thing with the mind is uh, whatever you feed it, it absorbs it. Uh, so it's powerful and it's also gullible. So if you're feeding it negativity, it takes it in, it takes it in, it takes it in, and that becomes your reality. It manifests as your perspective, and obviously it will influence everything you do. And um, But also if you do a 360 and you start uh, seeing your value and you start giving it that, feeding it, you know, uh, you know evidence-based uh, positive affirmations, it also believes you, right? And that becomes then your new reality. So as much as it's gullible, it's also powerful in that the minute you choose to change what you feed it, it reacts to that. So we have to understand how to tap in to that power of the mind because life happens and we tend to then develop certain thoughts and perspectives that we internalize that really, you know, influence our output and how we view life. So I think, and that that can really impact you, you know, into your childhood, uh, reducing the quality of your life. So we really need to start, um, you know, promoting mental health check-ins as part of the norm. And even the education in our school systems need to bring in you know, uh, the, the the power of the mind and mental health issues so that, you know, we, we, we de-stigmatize, um, you know, mental health because some people are prone to it. We have to accept that, you know, as much as some people are prone to cancer, uh, even if outwardly they look healthy, uh, cholesterol, diabetes, that some people will be prone or predisposed to mental health issues and it doesn't make them weak. So I think we need to really sell that or promote that reality that mental health is you know, something that someone might be at risk to have. and uh, But there are, there are ways to overcome and manage and prevent it as well. 
And I think it's because so much of it you can't physically see. It's all internalized and everybody's different. And I think that often people put themselves, well, they try from an empathetic perspective to put themselves in someone's own shoes, but you'll never walk in someone someone else's shoes. Um, so you're you're so right on on treating mental health in the same way that we treat our physical health and having those check-ins to uh, let's call them sanity checks. Definitely, definitely, because life happens. Life can be a lot, and whatever it is, you know, you're dealing with, even if we're not facing it, it just sits there and waits for us, and that will impact our mental health in the end. So I think that awareness constantly is important for everyone, all ages, all genders you know, to be exposed to the impact, uh, but also the solutions that come uh, that are available out there. Some people, as you mentioned, may be more predisposed to clinical uh, diagnosed ailments, so whether it's depression or or anxiety. Others, it may be almost self-induced or a uh, a byproduct of of circumstances and, and the environment that one's exposed to. I'd like to chat a little bit about burnout because it is a debilitating a debilitating experience, but one which can be prevented. And I know that your thesis title was on coaching intervention for burnout amongst Gen Y medical doctors. Firstly, can you give us a, a brief description of burnout? So basically, um, burnout is a state of severe emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. Uh, It's often caused uh, by excessive and prolonged stress. Uh, And there's three uh, components of burnout. The the key one or the big one is the emotional exhaustion, where someone states things like, I have nothing else left to give, right? I have nothing else in me to give. So it's almost like I have nothing to give to the situation or to people. And that the second component is depersonalization, where people really almost dissociate from self or start seeing people as objects or they get into that autopilot mode that is almost at a severe level where it's almost like, you know, they're just walking around but not present, not mindful in the moment. And then some uh, the, the third one is reduced personal accomplishment, where in spite of evidence, people still feel like, they, they don't know, they're not doing enough or they don't know what they're doing. They're not qualified to do the work that they're doing. So it's almost like that imposter syndrome uh, type of manifestation where someone feels like, you know, I don't know what it is I'm doing in spite of contrary of evidence. Uh, and obviously it, it overlaps with um, uh, mental health issues like depression, anxiety, and it's different to stress. When someone is stressed, they tend to over-engage. But when someone is burnt out, they really dissociate and they disengage and they almost have um, the the emotions are almost blunted and they have a lot of helplessness and hopelessness in them. Sounds like a really tragic place to be in. It is. It it, it can be real. And I think it's also one of those things that uh, we don't understand what you're experiencing and it's difficult to explain it. And people also don't get it and they think, you know, this person must snap out of it. And that's the issue with mental health issues. It's the stigma to self uh, where you must convince yourself that I'm struggling with something abstract um, and also trying to convince the other person or the person maybe you're reporting to or your partner that I'm, I'm struggling with this thing and I can't, can't quite explain it. And for them to actually understand it, it's not always easy. What type of interventions can be put in place to avoid us getting to this point? 
I think it's that uh, understanding that I'm not a soldier. I cannot function. I mean, soldiers, at some point, the war must end. So we cannot be on soldier mode for life forever. Because what tends to happen, people who are prone or at risk for burnout, is that it means they're constantly just under stress and not getting off this hamster wheel. So we need to then help them find ways to uh, rest and shut down their mind. Because if you're resting and you're still at the, at work or you're still thinking, overthinking about something, you're not quite resting. So it's not just physical rest because people with burnout often sometimes they can't run marathons, but <laughs> emotionally, cognitively, everything is blurred. So I think it's more about being able to be aware um, of your state uh, of, of, of health uh, and I'm talking mentally and understand that, okay, here I'm, I'm bordering on anxiety or I'm not coping or I'm doing too much. I need to take breaks. So so to give self grace to say, I'm a human being, I need to take breaks and actually start working on that. But also it's linked to perfectionism sometimes. So then obviously work might need to be done um, with the person because perfectionists function from, you know, a black and white perspective. If things are not going well, I'm failing. Right. So then the work must come in to put them in the gray area and they struggle with the gray area. And it's just about control when they in the black and white. If I'm not doing this, I'm failing. Uh, it's almost like trying to control things outside of themselves. Right. So it's almost like uh, in therapy, then we help them uh, come to a place where they're able to function in a place of in the gray area where they're not in control or trying to control everything around them. I think in everything that you've said, you've given a, a really um strong view of of reality checks that we are not robots or soldiers that we are living in a world where we interact with other living elements and we have to be aware of ourselves as well as others and the environment to be able to function optimally and avoid things of perfection and perfectionism and over control definitely definitely you're listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity, and today we're talking to Dr. Tomi Masheko, who is a clinical and sports psychologist. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Masheko, in the previous segment of the show, we spoke a lot about um, how to contend with issues of mental health. You gave some wonderful tips on self-awareness, uh, breathing techniques as being a, a strategy to, to reset ourselves. We also spoke about environment. And unfortunately, there are some circumstances where we can't control our environment. And for many women in South Africa, many are victims of gender-based violence. The quarter two crime statistics for 2023 and 2024 reported that South Africa had recorded 10,516 rapes, 1,514 cases of attempted murder, and 14,401 assaults against female victims in just three months, July, August, and September of 23. These figures are appalling, but they present the lived reality of many women in this country. I know that you published a, a book, Trapped in Love, which is aimed to encourage victims of, of abuse by normalizing some of their experiences. Are there any effective strategies or interventions that you find are particularly helpful in, in working with survivors of gender-based violence? Um, I think the first strategy is to understand the mindset of the abuser. And it's not to excuse their behavior, 
but to actually, you know, under, um, get the victim uh, of, of abuse, to actually understand that everything that the abuser is doing is about power and control. And they will use anything and everything to gain that um, while they're actually, you know, destroying you at the core so that you feel so stuck with them, helpless, almost dependent on them, even sometimes when you could leave. It's almost like you are so confused half the time. And it's because they project their own misery onto the victim. Because um, I always say misery loves company, as the saying goes. So someone who's miserable is going to project their misery. And what triggers it? Um, There's no logic to it. I think sometimes when you are abused by someone, people tend to want to have, but why would they do that? I'm, I'm their partner or I'm their child or, you know, I did nothing to them. There's no logic when it comes to emotion because the abuser is functioning from a place of pain or trauma that, you know, that they're spewing bile onto other people. And what triggers that in the abuser is usually your peace. You minding your business and living your best life and <laughs> unbothered and trying to do the best that you can, can actually trigger, you know, because the misery or whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah. Almost from an envy point of view that you are at the stage, happy stage, happy space, and the abuser isn't? Yes, yes. It's almost like, uh, you know, the, the, the misery in me is like, it's so overwhelming. But now they don't say, help me, I'm miserable, or help me, something happened to me in my childhood. Help me, I need help, right? Because that's the logical thing to do if you're hurt or, you, you know, you, you've gone through things. Go seek help for your things. But they don't do that. You know, they, it's, 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 it's almost like they... They, they're at the place where they're functioning from a place of pain. Therefore, also their decisions are very illogical. And what it is they do is that they want you to be as miserable as them. Even if it could be at a subconscious level, some of them it's a conscious thing that people are unhappy. So why are you happy? You know, and they're so irritable and they're verbal about it. So I think just uh, the victim needs to understand that it has nothing to do with you. Even though this abuse is directed at you, it actually has nothing to do with you per se as an, a human being. Uh, is you are dealing with an, a sick person who's projecting, you know, the, the 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 things on you. Sadly, so then what you then need to do is do the work within you and understand that there's nothing you can do to help an abuser. There's nothing you can do to fix them. Even though you know it might break your heart because it's family members, etc. So to understand that this thing that's happening is happening to me, but really it's not really about me. What I need to do though is to whatever it is that got me here, meaning that the abuser also picks something in the victim, right? That they will push, and it's not to blame the victim. The victim is never to blame for any type of abuse. But what these abusers do, they study the victim and they pick something in them to push. And once they get a reaction, so if someone, re- if they, if for example, an abuser talks about hair to say, my goodness, what's going on with your hair? And then the victim sort of reacts to that. Every day they're going to tell you about the hair because they're feeding off, you know, the miserable or the pain that you are or the hurt that you are showing because of their statement. I don't know if that makes sense. And then they will continually push. And then if the hair thing stops, then they go to your ears. My goodness, what's happening with your ears? So and so, you know, they pick on whatever as long as there's a reaction and then they pick on more things and now it becomes constant, constant. And they say, you know, they say, then and then it's a double bound messages. I love you, but you're useless. Um, so, so things, hair is better than yours. It's almost like, but I want to marry you and I'm doing you a favor. It's almost like it's such confusing messages and they double bound. And that's what also causes the confusion, um, almost uh, getting the victim to question reality. 
That's why some of them actually start doubting, did this person actually hurt me? Because then they also bought me flowers. Maybe I'm imagining it. And then they're so nice to other people. Um, So I think just understanding that, uh, but also understanding as a victim that I need to choose not only to leave if I am going to leave, but to heal and to do the work within me so that I break the cycle. Because if I leave this relationship and start another without healing, I'm probably going to end up with a same person, if not worse. And the cycle of abuse continues where I'm always a victim in the relationships. Thank you for for sharing. I think this in itself could be an entire show uh, because it is so complex. The reality is that for many victims of of GBV is that they they can't escape their perpetrators. There's either a, a financial dependence or as you were talking, you can certainly see psychological dependencies of am I good enough? No, I'm not good enough, and and self-doubt coming in. If people can't get out of their situation, what are some of the the coping mechanisms that they can use to help manage the environment that they're in? Or manage them I think, themselves. I think the focus should be on how do I do the work within me because we can't change the abuser, right? But we need to understand that even though they are causing me trauma and this trauma is not something I, I deserve, the healing is my responsibility. And I think that's where uh, then the victim needs to be empowered to understand that in spite of the trauma not being your fault, the healing is your responsibility. And if you do not choose to heal, unfortunately, as the saying goes, hurt people, hurt other people. Even if, I add at the end, even if they were unfairly hurt. So even if you didn't deserve the pain or the trauma, right, and you are hurt and you're functioning from a place of hurt, you are likely to hurt other people who are trying to love you, you know, to, to support you and, you know, your, your, the innocent people in your life, but also yourself. You might also start hurting yourself because you were hurt. And... um and sometimes it's unintentional. So you're not necessarily deliberately saying, I'm going to hurt these people who are trying to love me, but because you're functioning from a place of pain. So we also go back to understanding that the things in the subconscious, if they're not addressed, they just sit there and they gain almost momentum and they come out um, you know, in, in various ways, in our behaviors and our actions, our reactions, our interactions, our behavior. So when you're hurt, even if it was unfair, we need to take the responsibility for your healing, sadly. That's just how, you know, psychological things unfortunately work. And you need to, you know, do the work, choose the work so that you thrive and not just survive. Because you don't want to also be on autopilot if you end up leaving this relationship or even within the relationship, right? But also understanding that once you start doing the work and actually you start benefiting, the abuser will likely up their game. Because now, obviously, you'll be setting boundaries. You'll be, you know, so that might also just be aware also of the resistance that might come from you changing or being empowered. Such valuable advice. Thank you very much for for sharing it so so freely um, because it is absolutely much needed. Dr. Michelle, we are unfortunately running out of time and there are so many things that I wanted to ask you. So as we are are wrapping up up the show, can you share some of the the aspects that you feel have have contributed to your success and and helped shape you? 
for me, I think um, I, I realize the, the the power of uh, the choices I need to make so that I can heal. As you said about my memoir, so I've been also exposed to a lot of trauma in my life as well. I'm not immune to it, but I think uh, the power came in uh, when I actually um, saw that I need to do the work. There's no automatic healing, um, but also that uh, human beings, we are on a journey, all of us, and, you know, uh, we are a work in progress. And um, we need to, and I, I needed to believe in myself uh, to understand my purpose so that at all costs, I will push to achieve that purpose, which is to become this clinical and sports psychologist, because I'm of view that actually that's why I'm here to to serve, you know, as a clinical and sports psychologist and also to be the face of hope and healing for people who have been through things like gender-based violence. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's just that self-awareness, but also understanding that um, I can't push barriers that have been set because of stereotypes, but also barriers in my mind and in my environment to become the best version of myself and to thrive, not just survive. And um, I think also uh, the, the mentorship, I think it's important to look up to, to, to someone or have someone, you know, who you can be accountable to, uh, especially as women in this patriarchal society. But I think as any human being, we just need someone we can be accountable to who can guide us. I was fortunate enough to have a mother who was a professor in clinical psychology who, you know, helped me in my journey to be the professional and the woman that I am today. And uh, it's important to also um, run your own race, you know, compete with you, not other people and stay in your lane and learn how to tap into the mind where you're able to shut out the noise. And the noise is not just from outside people, but the biggest noise is the noise in our head. So if you are very critical of yourself and you look down on yourself, as I said, the subconscious seeps that in and it believes you. So that voice, you need to make sure that you train it and you tap into it so that it, it becomes a voice that pushes you you know, beyond expectations, right? But it starts first with the self-awareness and, um, and, and it will carry you, you know, when things are hard uh, in this life. Thank you so much for, for sharing your experience and your perspectives and that final takeaway of purpose, self-awareness, mentorship and uh, drowning out competing voices and um, embracing the ones which are positive. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you and we hope to have you back on the show to explore more elements of, of these topics. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much and thanks to your listeners. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity and we have been talking to Dr. Tumi Mashepo who is a clinical and sports psychologist in private practice.